Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. Bharati Jagdish and Timothy go with you. Now, have you ever bought now but paid later, Tim? <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah, neither have I. If I can't I. afford it, I'm not buying it. I think we're a little old-fashioned uh, in that way. We that's, tend to be overly prudent. Because that's what I our have, parents taught us, right? Yes, exactly. So I was brought up in that era as well. If you don't have the money already, just don't do it. Or work for the money. Yeah. So... I've gone to the extent of, yeah, I'll just put it on my credit card, but I'll still pay the credit card bill at the end of the month, mm-hmm. religiously. <laughs> right? Well, when you think about it, that is some sort of buy now, pay later, but it is. you do have to pay for it at the end of the month. Yeah, well, these, this phenomenon actually has skyrocketed since the COVID-19 pandemic, with transactions amounting to $440 million last year. And it's only natural, right? A lot of us were shopping online, and this seems to be the fastest growing online payment method. It is actually predicted to be so in Singapore by 2025. So the industry is growing so rapidly in size and popularity that regulators, of course, are now sitting up and taking notice. In fact, they talked about it in Parliament quite recently. And providers are expected to take steps to protect consumers, to prevent them from overbuying and becoming indebted. Yeah. So the Singapore Fintech Association has launched a working group under the guidance of the MAS to develop a code of conduct for all BNP providers. But there's another step too that needs to be taken. And uh, yes, uh, the global payment standard going live in November with that, uh, will that bring more challenges to service providers of BNPL to upgrade security? Because that is the next concern here without increasing the payment friction, of course. What does the impending BNPL regulation also mean for banks and other financial institutions? And will these new regulations affect BNPL coming into the mainstream? So many questions to ask about this payment method. We will talk now to Andrew Burleson, Senior Director of Payments at Market Planning, Lexus and Nexus Risk Solutions. Hello, Andrew. Hello, thanks for having me. Hey, Andrew, let's talk about this bill that actually seeks to impose up to a million dollars in penalties on financial institutions that suffer a security breach. It is, as Tim said earlier, all about security. So let's talk about the hidden risks, first of all, that BNPL service providers face when operating. Yeah, well, really, there's two main challenges. One is obviously making sure you have a fair and equitable service that's available to all, so you're not you know, offering those services in a discriminatory way. So that provision has to be done in a transparent way, which is inclusive for all society. And the second one, obviously, is, of course, fraud, um, especially in card not present or e-commerce transactions. Typical, the fraud case of using stolen identities also applies to buy now, pay later, especially when you think of the type of goods that are purchased at buy now, pay later are often of a lot more higher value than typical e-commerce transactions. So, Andrew, what is it about the BNPL method, though, that makes it a common target for fraudsters? Well, I think if you think of the history, they forces always go for the newest, latest vectors. Mm-hmm. You know, they try, you know, compromising bank accounts, and then the banks add all their layers of security, so they try other financial services, and then they move into the new, the new entrance, like buy now, pay later. But buy now, pay later also has a very specific vulnerability, and that is transactions want to be done very quickly, and people don't want to supply as, as much information as they would normally supply when going through a credit 
application. So if someone had to wait a minute or two for an online sort of application for a credit card or a loan, they'd probably be quite happy. But if you're shopping for a dress or a bicycle, you'd not only do you expect that buy now, pay later to happen and be accepted within seconds, you don't want to provide all the sort of normal consumer information you might have to provide for a credit offering. So those two desires for speed and simplicity also makes it very sort of complex. So how can government regulation really help in this regard? What sort of regulation is needed? Well, obviously, when it comes to sort of credit offering, those kind of regulations have been there in place within the financial services for a long time, making sure people have the means to be able to pay back those, those uh, credit obligations. And also that vulnerable people or people who can't afford these credit offerings aren't targeted or incentivized to join the scheme. And I guess the third one would be ensuring that the people offering those services have the right fraud and technology protections in place. So, you know, the more that these uh, regulations are brought in, hopefully more robust the service will be, and that will get more trust from the consumers, or will help adoption. Andrew, can these PL service providers, the players in this uh, uh, sector, uh, adapt the same things that banks do for credit card customers? Yeah, they, they could be, but absolutely. But the, the challenge is when you're doing the sort of online shopping, you may want to happily put your telephone number or your email address, mm-hmm. but you may not want to put the rest of your personal information. Um, and that's really the difference between the buy now, pay later. They're taking a sort of limited number of digital attributes to be able to make that decision. So that's really the, the difference between the two applications. So what exactly should they be changing and what can they do on their own already at this point, considering what you just said? Yeah, I think the key is you need to have multiple layers of, of defense with the, when you're doing these applications. So if you're just relying on a, on a simple sort of email check or simple sort of local identity check, you, you may not be able to get the right intelligence. You need to have sort of a you know a risk mitigating exercise that looks at multiple layers of defense, looking at the behavioral biometrics of the user of, of the device, the actual device itself, whether it be a laptop or a mobile phone, and you know the all the other attributes that come alongside that, whether it be sort of GPS positioning or the motion sensor in the phone, having a sort of a, a very strong uh, authentication and security layer to be able to detect and approve those transactions is really what you need. Some people might say, you know, why not just partner with banks or go through banks as a consumer? Because most of them are already regulatory compliant in most countries, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's always these different options. I mean, don't forget that those uh, payments will obviously usually be done with a debit or credit card anyway. So it's going through the traditional banking rails. Mm. But the decision on that sort of first decision about whether to offer that service is really done between the merchant and the buy now, pay later provider. So that decision on credit is given before you reach the banking layer. So that's probably the, the sort of the challenge as compared to, you know, applying for a credit card where it goes through the whole credit uh, application process. I'm not quite familiar with this uh, at the moment, Andrew, but when you apply for a new financial credit card these days, you can actually get verification using SingPass in Singapore, which is quite secure, government an app with it. So could they use the same or are they doing the same for BNPL apps as well? Well, yeah, it's difficult.
useful to know which each of the service providers use mm -hmm. in their credit sort of risk decisioning model, and they could use that. But I think that's the interesting thing about the opportunity of the market in Singapore. You know, you have a relatively small population compared to the, you know, the, the wider world. There are other providers that offer this you know, in, in very large jurisdictions that may be competing with Singaporean companies. Okay. And you have a lot of overseas people that move into Singapore and move away. So if you're going to be reliant on just sort of permanent residents with their self-sing pass, um, you know, you can have a limited uh, market size com competing with the other providers, the, the big household names that have been offering this for a while, mm. that are able to offer this cross-border as well as within Singapore. So that's the challenge. You know, you can be very secure with a small data set, but once you want to expand and go into other markets, um, then you've got to you know, have a really access to a global digital identity intelligence to be able to make that work. So in a nutshell, Andrew, your advice to banks and financial institutions in Singapore to make a smooth transition to this new global payment standard, ISO 222. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. You know, that's talking about you know, institutional payments, cross-border payments, domestic payments, all going to one standard. Um, and it's being adopted at different rates in different countries and by different payment systems. I think the key is just to start your planning very early. No two ISO 222 systems are exactly the same. They're a framework and there's various, you know, various regional variations. So you really want to start with that testing and planning, you know, sort of very early. Uh, you don't want to do that sort of Y2K issue and leave it to the last few months when all the resources and support you need to get that working is, is, it has gone or becomes very expensive. All right. Thank you very much for that, Andrew. Andrew Burleson, Senior Director of Payments and Market Planning, Lexus Nexus Risk Solutions. Thanks for joining us today. You stay safe and take care, Andrew. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.